Have you given up on revival? I know things are getting really, really tough. And I know that there are all these anti-Christian things being implemented um, in the public arena right now. And I know that at times I'm thinking, Lord, are you going to work? As Habakkuk said, Lord, are you going to do a work in my day? And sometimes we think about revival. I remember being in England one time, and I was talking to this lady, and she said, oh, Charles, the revivals only come in the 50s. They came in 1750 with Wesley, 1850 with Spurge, and 1950 with Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and before that, they came in the 50s with um, somebody else who I can't remember. <laughs> John Bunyan. And so she's going through, but you know, uh, it's 19, this was 1997, this is 1997, I don't know of any revival. I said, well, I know in 1897, an uneducated American named D.L. Moody came, and he set this, this country on fire for Jesus Christ. And then I looked at her, I said, maybe my husband is that uneducated American. (laughs) It's not time to give up on revival. God always wants to move. He wants to work. Revival happens when people wake up to the fact that they need a savior, to the fact that there's got to be something greater than themselves, and they need to be saved. There's just this this all of a sudden where they come out of this stupor, and they see reality as reality is. It happens when people come to the realization that they cannot trust themselves. They, they can't trust themselves maybe with addictive substances or they can't trust themselves with their own emotions. They can't trust their own decisions or their own wisdom. Everything that they thought that they knew that they knew that they were right in, they realize they're wrong in. And all of a sudden, revival begins to happen. Revival happens when people wake up to the fact that the way that they're living is wrong. I was um, talking to this woman And she told me that she used to be in the lesbian lifestyle. And one day she turned to her partner and she said, do you think God's okay with the way we're living? And her partner said, I don't know. Let's go to church and find out. So they went to a Calvary chapel. Pastor didn't say anything about it. So they said, well, you know, maybe we're okay. But they still didn't feel right. They begin to read the Bible. They went back the next week. He didn't say anything. So they said, maybe we need an appointment. They went in, they had an appointment. He said, well, it's not all right. But neither is, you know, heterosexuality without marriage or without Jesus. So let me show you what is right living. And that day in that pastor's office, they both gave their lives to Jesus Christ. See, that's revival. That's revival. Revival happens when people begin to seek the Lord. Revival is also when people begin to really, as Christians, see, it's not only the world, those people out there that need revival, we as believers need revival. When does revival happen in our lives? Well, revival happens when we really, really commit ourselves to the purposes of Jesus. When we really, really walk with Jesus and we begin to obey Jesus, then amazing exploits begin to happen in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you. I wonder if it's my age. But lately, I've been giving Brian all the wrong directions when he drives. And that poor man, he sometimes takes them. And we'll be on the wrong road. Like, why did you tell me to turn right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I just liked the way it looked. It had a pretty tree. I don't know. There's something that happens in the car when he's driving and I panic. You know, I'm just like, turn right. And he's like, and he just does it, you know? And he's like, why did you say that? I don't know. So I've realized when I pray, sometimes I do that with God. Turn right. And you know, God's so great. He's like, no. But I'm at this place that I so don't trust myself. Maybe it's because my daughter's moved out and I don't know how to dress anymore. They used to tell me what looked good and what didn't. Now I'm left on my own. But I've come to the place where I used to tell God I had the best prayers. I told him exactly what to do and when to do it and how to do it. I, I was just so good. And now I'm at this place where, Lord, you know, you know that you can't trust me. So I'll tell you what, I'm just going to mention their name. You do your will in your way because that's the best. My prayers, my prayer life, I can pray for more people now because, you know, he knows. I just started at the beginning. Your will, your way. Here's the list. As Paul said, I make mention of you in my prayers. I think that's what Paul did. I think he started with the disclaimer, Lord, not my way, but your will be done. Here's the names. And you know they need a touch. I believe that's revival. When we don't trust our own ways, but we trust the way of God. When we're no longer saying, my way, Lord. We're saying, Lord, you do things so much better than I do. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this one. Here it is, Lord. Have your way, because it's going to be great. It's going to be so good. I think of Mary at that wedding in Cana, and they ran out of wine, and she went to Jesus. And I, I just, I think she said it like this. They ran out of wine. Like, this is going to be so good. I think she got excited when she saw it was empty. Like, oh, they're out. Yes. And she went running to Jesus. They're out of wine. You know, like, here's your opportunity, right? He says, woman, what does your need have to do with me? I don't think he was saying, like, stay out of my life. I think he was saying, how did you know that this would interest me? How did you know that I'd be interested in this? This is why I believe that, because she didn't go to the, the servants and said, forget it, don't boss them around, I tried it, it doesn't work. She went to them and said, whatever he says, get ready, this is going to be good. Do whatever he says. She didn't try to instruct him, she just brought the need to him and then said, do whatever he says. Oh, that's the ingredients for a revival right there. When you run out and you just look to Jesus in expectation and you say, this is going to be good. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be good and I'm just going to present it to him. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm just ready to do whatever he says. That's revival in a believer's life. I've been privileged to be part of more than one revival. I remember as a child, and I want to make that clear, as a child, the Jesus people movement. As a child, I was like 10 years old. People treat me like I'm an expert. I'm like, well, I was 10, but I was 10 when the spirit began to fall. And it was just amazing. It was just, you know, people coming to the church, Covered Chapel uh, on the corner down there at Greenville and Sunflower, which is now the Alzheimer's home. That is not symbolic. But... (laughs) It's not a sign. But at the time, I remember just crowds coming. 
and my dad not knowing what to do with all the crowds and just being so excited and droves and droves of, of young people. And then their parents started coming. And the parents would come mad. They came mad. What is this thing that my kids are into? And they, my dad got yelled at like every Sunday. And he just, you know, <laughs> he just smiled. He took it all in. And man, by the next Sunday, those parents were saved. It was just revival. And it was happening everywhere. It was happening everywhere. It was such an incredible revival. It kind of seemed to cool off a little bit in 1975, 1976, but a revival started at my high school. I had some friends, and we just decided to start praying. I had one girlfriend in particular, and I remember um, she was adopted, and she had an older brother that was adopted. And one day I was at her house, and her brother pulled a sawed-off shotgun on her parents. And we could hear it was out in the hallway, and he was threatening them. And they were trying to calm him down. And we went into her closet, and we began to pray. And we prayed in the Spirit. And and we just, we were there for about an hour just praying in the Spirit. A week later, he... That day, he put the gun down. I know you want to know the rest of the story right then. He didn't kill the parents. They were able to subdue him. But a week later, his friends came back, and they burned down her house. And the only room that was not burned was her bedroom. And the only place in that whole house that was untouched was that closet. And we knew it was because we prayed. We started having these classmates of ours accept the Lord. I mean, I had one girl come up to me and go, what's different about you? And I said, I don't know, but I think it might be Jesus. I do too. I want him. Okay, come to church with us. It was that easy. I kid you not. And things like that started happening. We had this one girl who was totally into the New Age movement. So my friend didn't know what to do with her because she's like, I've got a mantra. You can't know my mantra. And I'm so happy the way I am. (laughs) My girlfriend goes, well, I don't know, but I know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So then she goes to do her mantra, and all she can hear is John 3.16. She had no Christian background at all. But that started going through her mind. She came the next day and she said, all right, how do I meet this Jesus? She became one of our dear friends, started eating with us. She went to Christian college, worked for a Christian newspaper. It was revival. And I could tell because it was so, so beyond my friends. It was so beyond myself. And then I went away to college. I came back and I met Brian Broderson. And he was... I remember this one guy said, now, Cheryl, I never set you up with anybody, but you've got to meet this guy. He's the neatest guy I know, and he likes you. And I'm like, okay, a guy likes me. What's his name? And he told me, but it didn't stick because I hadn't seen him. You have to see someone for it to stick in my mind, you know? And so he's telling me, names mean nothing to me. Names, numbers, unfortunately. Faces are everything. So he takes me to Brian's house. He says, I'll show you who he is. So he takes me to Brian's house because every night after Brian would go to church, he would meet at his house with a group of kids who had just gotten saved. So it started out like this. Brian gets saved, and two of his best friends, Mark and Mark, Mark 1 and Mark 2, they were already saved. It's not a Gnostic doctrine. It's just the names of the people. So they get saved, and the three of them decide just to start praying together. And they're so Young in the Lord, they decide that every promise is true in the Bible and they're just going to claim it and they're going to pray over it. 
Yeah, and then they get sophisticated later. That's sad, huh? But in the beginning, just praying over all those promises. So they would choose. Each person would choose a name, and they'd start praying for that person. That person would get saved. And then they'd come. Now there's six people praying. Now each of these people is choosing a name. And then there's 12 people because those people got saved. And it kept going and kept going like that. So by the time I met Brian in this little apartment, there's like 100 people crowding out this apartment. And some are playing guitars to each other. Everyone else is like telling each other scriptures like, look what the Bible says. And they're showing me. And I'm like, oh, yes, I knew that. I knew that because I, I was so sophisticated. So bad. Anyway, everyone's just, I mean, I remember this guy coming in in all white leather with red boots. <laughs> another, another couple, the guy and girl were all wearing, they were wearing like leotards and tights, both of them. And they had these bouffant hairdos. And I was like, whoa, I can't believe this. This isn't Kansas. It was just such a new reality. And then a guy, because, you know, this was the punk rock time. He had, like, all these safety pins in his ear. And I'm like, I hope that's not Brian, you know, the one I'm supposed to be matched up with. But Brian comes out, and he says, all right, guys, it's time to pray. And everyone forms a circle. Brian opens his Bible. He reads a couple scriptures to them. And then they all start praying. It was the most amazing thing. And it was just every week. I remember when I started dating Brian, we would go down Main Street in Huntington Beach. And he'd run into all these old friends. And he'd just share the gospel with them so easily. He worked as a manager of Jack's Surf Shop down on Main Street, Huntington. And every day he would come home telling me somebody who got saved or somebody who he shared the gospel with. That's a revival. That's a revival. When Brian first came on staff at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, he was asked to take the junior high, which is just hilarious if you know my husband's personality, because he's so calm. I used to leave him with the kids to babysit, and he'd just play guitar to them and think that they would just like it, you know? Not realizing that Char would discover the flour, the sugar, and just dump them out on the floor and then, you know, make his little guys play in them. It was always like an interesting time, but Brian's just, he's mellow. It really takes a lot to get a rise out of him. I have, I have accomplished this, but it is not easy. It's taken a lot of personal energy to get him up there, but I, I can do it. I'm one of the few people that can actually do it. But I, I remember that, you know, he's got the junior high, and, and the junior high is absolutely wild, and you've got a surfer. And he's like, whoa, praise the Lord, cool. You know, and he's going to do the junior high. And I remember we go up to Twin Peaks, and most of the kids are mad that they're there. They don't want to be at junior high camp. You're great. You know, like we have Gary right now and Corey. They're energetic. You know, that was Brian. I'm energetic, but I had a baby. And he's doing the junior high, but he's just like, hey, we're just going to pray. We're just going to let God come in and do it. So these kids are mad. I mean, they come in and they're like this. At the first study, I'm like, oh, great. And at this. You know who the worship leaders were? Brian and me. That's not good. Somebody once recorded us so we could hear ourselves and we realized we couldn't do that to people anymore. It was cruel. But there we are, leading worship. And the Spirit of God falls on these junior high kids. They start crying. They start repenting. They start praying out loud. It was just the most amazing thing. So Brian says, you know, why wait till Friday night to have the afterglow? Let's get them saved right now. It's Sunday. 
We pray the kids come forward. We lay hands on them. They get saved. Monday, they're singing. Um, they've got their hands up. Monday morning singing, you know, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm looking out. And I'm seeing these junior high kids. And I'm like, this is a miracle. I know, because I was once in junior high. This is a miracle. It was a revival. So I know, I know that revival happens. I have seen it happen. And it's happened more than once in my life. Because I believe that revival comes in waves. And if you're down in the ocean and it's a good swell, it's a wave after wave after wave after wave. In fact, a couple years ago, I remember I was going through a trial and I'm walking down on the beach and I'm just praying and a rogue wave hits me. And I mean, I'm on, I'm on dry sand and this wave comes out of nowhere and just drenches me. And I'm, I look up from the rogue wave and there's a lady walking this way with her two boys and she's saying, don't laugh at the lady, don't laugh at the lady. Because <laughs> there's sand like dripping off my hat. And I said, it's all right, this is funny. This is like ridiculously funny. The only thing that wasn't funny is that I got home and threw all my clothes in the washing machine and forgot that I had my telephone in my pocket. I kept wondering why my um, washing machine was going, but now I know. It was my phone. In fact, they asked, did this phone touch water? I'm like, oh yeah. (laughs) We want a revival for the world. Acts teaches us that revivals begin with individuals waking up and being set on fire. Think about these disciples. There's 11. They're down by one. They're casting lots to find the other one. They're not sure of what they're doing. You're going to discover that in chapter one as you study this week. But one thing about these men is they're ordinary. They're very, very ordinary. Not only are they ordinary, these men have issues. They really, really do have issues. They're not cosmopolitan. Most of them that we know have never even been out of Israel. They're fearful. They're not trained or educated And they're going to do something that's never been done before. They're going to take the gospel, the good news about a Jewish Messiah, to an anti-Semitic world. They're going to take the gospel to a world that's absolutely paganized. And I want you to think for a moment, the people that are doing this, it's going to be Peter. It's going to be Peter. Now, think about Peter for a second. This is a guy who's denied Jesus three times. This is a boaster. Hey, all those guys? Yeah. I can see them denying you, but not me. I'm Peter. Remember, I'm a rock. And what's he do? He forsakes the Lord in the garden. He denies the Lord three times. There's the one you want to take the gospel to the world. Fearless Peter, right? Oh, this isn't even a cohesive group. It's not even that they get along. You've got James and John who are so ambitious, they're always causing trouble among the disciples while Jesus walks on earth. They're always going like, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Can't you just hear it? You know, like, I think I'm, I'm the greatest. Jesus loves me the most. No, he loves me the most. I mean, you know these guys are problematic when they're called sons of thunder. You know, it's one thing if the disciples nicknamed them sons of thunder because you'd say, well, you know, that's a human perspective. No, Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. I think you're dealing with a couple temperamental guys. Not the guys, necessarily, that you want to entrust with the gospel for the world. Then you've got Andrew. This is Peter's brother. You know, the the only thing I can say about this guy is he steals lunches. In John chapter 6, they can't find food for the multitude. He goes, hey, we grabbed a kid's lunch. (laughs) Five loaves, two fish. It's a start. You know, 
You've got Judas, not Iscariot, not Iscariot, because we know what happened to him, or you'll find out in Acts chapter 1, not pretty. But you've got Judas, not Iscariot. He doesn't have a clear understanding. He's like, Lord, how come you're telling us these things and not the world? You know, I, think, I think that you need a better public image. We've got to get you out there, Lord. He's not quite getting how Jesus wants things done. You've got Thomas, and there's a reason. They call him Doubting Thomas. He's the guy that says, unless you show me and I feel it, I'm not going along with the program. And that's okay, Mr. Doubter. We're going to give you the gospel, you know? And he's going to take this gospel to the world. This guy who started out with doubts is going to be anointed to take the gospel to the world. In fact, church history has Thomas taking the gospel to India and a revival breaking out in India. We've got James, not the brother of John, but James, who's called a zealot. He's a patriot. He's so preoccupied with Israel. He just wants, you know, Israel. He's like the Israel Tea Party person. You know, everything is about Israel. When are you going to restore Israel? Well, what about Israel? And we've got to make Israel better. He's so preoccupied. And get this. He's working with a guy named Matthew, who used to be a tax collector. He was part of the enemy. He was working for the Romans, the oppressors, the wrong administration. And these two, these two are going to be anointed to take the gospel to the world. Then you've got Nathaniel. He's also called Bartholomew. And he's a guileless Israelite. Now, guileless sounds wonderful, right? We don't have any other agendas. You don't have any other schemes. That's a good thing. But when you're guileless and there's a mean world out there and there's a paganized, dangerous world and you've got to take the gospel, that can be a very, very dangerous thing. You've got Philip who says to Jesus in John chapter 15, hey, just show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says to him, Philip, have I been so long a time with you that you have not really known who I am? He who has seen me has seen the Father. These are the men that are going to be entrusted with the gospel. I hope that makes you feel better about yourself. I mean, if if Jesus says, these are the ones I want, these are the ones I'm going to use, men with issues, ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, lunch stealers, these are the ones I'm going to use. These men, they all forsook Jesus in the garden. They're fearful men. In fact, when we find them at the end of the Gospels, they're in a locked room. Even though they've heard the rumors of Jesus rising from the dead, they're behind locked doors. These men need power. They need boldness. They need unity. They need energy. They need passion. They need wisdom. They need persuasive power because the world is totally paganized. And men are content with their idols. They're set in their ways. They're worshiping the gods of their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. And this is the way it's always done. And don't you tell them that their religion and their way of living is all wrong. It's a secularized secularized world. It is full of sin. In fact, men are addicted to sin. Perversions abound in society, especially in the upper echelon of society. The emperors are noted for their sexual perversion. 
There are secular courts, religious temples that practice prostitution with both male and females. And even with children, pedophilia is considered a religious practice. And this is the world that they're going to take the gospel to. It's a hostile and dangerous world. It's said of Nero and his friends that they used to roam the streets of Rome looking for a hapless person all by himself. And they would disfigure that person and they would tear them limb from limb. It is a hostile and dangerous world. There's no sense of morality or standard of righteousness outside of Israel. Israel is the only country with even a semblance of righteousness or the law of God. Nobody else is practicing the law of God. It's been taken out of every schoolroom, every courtroom. In fact, it was never put in then. And this is the world that they're to take the gospel to. What they need is a divine work. They need something so beyond education and training. No amount of collected knowledge is going to prepare them for what they need to do. Nothing less than a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit will prepare them, will energize, will work in them. But this is what we know. From the book of Acts, we know this, that God uses these men to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. These Faulted, weak, ordinary men. God uses. I love the book of Acts because it tells us that it happened. It tells us how it happened. And it shows us what happened. It shows us what to expect, how to get there, how to get it, and how to go with it. And then what happens with it, the work of the Spirit. We need a revival. Do you agree? The world is getting more and more desperate. Violence is on the increase. I don't need to tell you that, do I? It is just, you're always feeling vulnerable, especially as women. You know, I'm just always locking my doors. Even though they lock automatically, I'm always like double-checking it, you know, which is not great when the person looks scary next to you and they hear the thing go, you know. It's not you. Don't take it personally just because you've got that knife. (laughs) No, I'm fine. This isn't about you. This is all about me and my own fears. But you know, it's a, it's a violent world out there. Immorality and perversion are becoming the norm. What is this? I had a woman said she went into, uh, she went into the women's mess, uh, restroom up in Northern California and there was a man in it. And there was nothing she could do about it because now that's the law. It was at her uh, public college. There are so many weird laws. I'm sorry, but this is getting weird. Wouldn't you agree? There are laws that we don't even know about that are so weird. You're thinking, who, who came up with these laws? There's hostility towards morality. It's now we live in a society where morality, or to say that there's a standard of morality is evil. How can you judge like that? Who are you? And anything goes but Christianity. That's the society we live in. And I remember, I've told you this before, but I remember going to Pompeii and looking at the frescoes. In fact, I saw this article just recently about this, um, it's 60 new archaeological finds. I found it on the internet. And it was showing these heathen gods that date back to Roman times, or these 
these statues. And they are doing the most perverse things, these statues. You're thinking, you know what? This is the Roman world. This is the same atmosphere that the disciples were called to go into these naive, unprepared, ordinary disciples were called to go into this world. We're in a similar environment. We've got a similar mission. Our mission, like their mission, is to get the gospel to people. We were singing today, our God saves. He saves. The Lord saves. We've got to let people know there's hope in the name of Jesus. He saves. This need is the same. We're ordinary. We're weak. We're afraid. We're vulnerable. None of us. Well, if you have it together, I think you're at the wrong Bible study. Because the rest of us don't have it together, and we're kind of proud of that. We just don't have it together. We don't have all that we need for the task ahead. We need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We need a revival in our own hearts, in our own lives. That, that is the need. The book of Acts is for us. It's for our generation. It's for this time right now, right here. But we, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can have such great expectation. Such great expectation. Because when you read in Acts, yes, there were trials. But you know what I love about the trials in Acts? It's kind of like the disciples don't even see them. They're just totally unaware Years ago, Brian went to Yugoslavia, and he went. Um, he had already gone there. A revival had started up. He was now going back to kind of disciple um, the people there and just to encourage them in the Lord. And he was going to Hungary, Hungary and Yugoslavia. And my son Char was so hyperactive. And I had a baby, and I had a two-year-old, and I had a thirteen-year-old. And I said, "No, I'm sorry. I had a baby. I don't." I had like a 10-year-old. I can't remember how old he was. I think he was six or seven, Char. And he was so, so hyperactive. And I said, Brian, I can't handle Char while you're gone. It's just too hard. So Brian took him with him. It was like 110 degrees. It was humid. And they nicknamed Char the human fly. Because while Brian would preach, Char would climb all over him the entire time. And everybody else is like, your kid is all over you. And Brian's just preaching the gospel. He doesn't even realize that Char is doing this kind of stuff because it's so normal in our house. (laughs) But, you know, I think about that and I think, I want to be so preoccupied with Jesus that I don't notice the human flies. You know, that it's just, and that's what you see with the disciples. They're so preoccupied, like, can you believe what the Holy Spirit is doing? Can you believe how upset those guys are because we're dealing with the risen Lord? Can you believe that lame man is walking and leaping and praising God? They're so preoccupied with seeing what Jesus is doing that when a trial comes their way, they're like, what's he going to do? They've run out of wine. They're just like, what's God going to do? God wants to increase our expectation. We have too long looked at everything that's wrong. And God wants to move our vista, change our perspective, to see everything that he's doing. And he wants to work a great work in our midst, I promise you. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through each of us 
through each of us. He wants to anoint. He wants to empower. He wants to take us beyond ourselves as they were singing this morning. He wants to move our trust in him to be without borders so we can walk on the water, do things that we've never, ever done before, talk to people we've never, ever talked to before. A few weeks ago, and you know, you know me well enough that when I say a few weeks ago or a year ago, it could be up to 20 years ago. (laughs) Time is so relative. David said, my age before you is as nothing. That's how I am, numbers, names. It's all about faces. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at this place, Brian and I, I'm actually buying these bubble balls. That's another story. But I'm there, and I'm, I'm going up to the front, and the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to tell that girl that she's beautiful. I'm like, seriously? You know, she's not going to think I'm kind of strange? You know, I'm more worried about my reputation. I'm like, Lord. And the Lord said, just, just tell her she's beautiful. So I, I go to her. I said, hi. I'm a married woman, and I'm I'm old. And I said, and I think because of my age, I can speak into your life where other people can't. And I said, I have something I really feel I need to say to you. Now she's looking at me like, okay. Yeah, she's putting the ball in the back and going, okay. And I said, you're really, really beautiful. I said, you're dynamically beautiful. And I don't think you'll hear that from your peers. So I think you need a lady like me without any agendas to come in and say that to you. And I said, and I really feel like God told me to tell you. And and she looks at me, and this tear starts running down her face, and she said, I needed to hear that so badly today. You don't even know. I'm like, I'm glad I was obedient. Yes, but to her, I was like, like I'm always obedient. You know, you got to keep the, you know, respect with the youth. And I'm just like, great, good. Well, you really are. And she's like, it's been a really hard day. And I said, yeah, and it's going to be because there's always going to be girls that are jealous of you because you're beautiful. And I said, I just wanted to tell you that. And now what do I owe you because I really want to get out of here because I'm so embarrassed. But that's all right. But you know what I mean? It was like this God moment that he totally designed. God wants to do the unexpected in our lives. And he wants to do it by first setting us on fire by his Holy Spirit. It's not by training It's not by methodologies or formulas. It's simply by the Spirit of God. And in Acts, it tells us when the Spirit falls, how the Spirit falls, and the incredible, unexpected, great things that the Spirit will do. So this year at Joyful Life, we're going to gather together to study the book of Acts, to learn what the Spirit does, to grow in our understanding of the work of the Spirit, to seek to be filled with the Spirit, And in order to do this, we're going to be reading through and studying different chapters and acts. We've got groups so you can discuss what you're learning and what God is showing you. And everyone is going to get something different. And that's okay. As long as it's not like weird and off doctrine, and then then it's not, of course. And then, you know, we just slap you around and it's okay. You'll get over it. No. (laughs) Then we'll say, more fire. No. But we're going to get together, obviously, we're going to discuss it because something happens when you're talking about it that is just dynamic. It becomes your own. We're going to be praying for each other, praying when you're here, praying when you're not here. You're, everyone who's here who's in a group is getting prayed for. Every, 
Every week, you're getting prayed for. You've got automatic prayer. Is that so good? And then you get extra prayer. If you call up your group leader and say, help, then she puts you on the line, and all the group leaders are praying for you. We're going to be listening to the word as it's expounded. We're going to be growing in our faith. And as we do, we can expect revival, first in our own lives. And then as it happens in our lives, it's going to happen in our groups. As it happens in our groups, it's going to happen in our homes. As it happens in our homes, it's going to happen in our community. As it happens in our community, it's going to happen in the world. When I was in the Jesus People movement and just a young child, there was a song that we used to sing, and it went like this. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And then all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love once you've experienced it. It's fresh like spring. You want to sing. You want to pass it on. As we are filled and anointed and touched by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to work in us, it is like that flame of fire that we get set on fire and we begin to set everyone on fire around us. And isn't that what we need Isn't that what we want? Let's go ahead and stand up. Okay, I'm going to present you to Jesus Christ right now. Lord, here's your girls. Lord, and they're all girls before you, and I thank you for that right now. And Lord, we we come before you and we say, Lord, we want you. We want all that you have for us. Lord, we want to be your vessels. We want to be filled and anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want our expectation to turn heavenly. Lord, to turn to what you and you alone can do and what you desire to do through the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be filled, just filled to overflowing by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would anoint these, my sisters in Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you'd open up their understanding to the Word of God. Lord, that you'd bless them in obedience as they begin to practice what they're learning, Lord. Bless, touch, work, we pray in Jesus' name.